Welcome to Silly History, I'm Matt Pekarski. I love funny stories, especially when they come from real life. I've compiled a long list of true tales that made me laugh, and now I want to share them with you. There's a lot of crazy stuff historical figures did or said, and yet we've never heard about them. History class would have been a lot more interesting with some of these sprinkled in here and there. Not that I ever disliked learning history. Hopefully there's at least a couple of yarns you haven't heard before. Let's hear one now. Let's face it, booze built America. No matter where you look, you'll find that a great historical milestone involved liquid courage in some way or another. The founding fathers often met to discuss independence at the nearby tavern. The men who worked on the Erie Canal, the nation's first superhighway, were each rationed a whole quart of whiskey every day. And a short 60-some-odd years ago, politicians actually hashed out their policy differences over a few drinks. They'd lock themselves in a room, pour a couple of stiff ones, and find a compromise. If only they would do that today. When the Volstead Act reached the floor of Congress, it passed a two-thirds majority vote. On paper, it provided guidelines on how to federally enforce the 18th Amendment, which prohibited the manufacture, sale, distribution, and consumption of alcohol. And so began the era of prohibition. In June of the same year, 1919, women were legally given the right to vote, and the Treaty of Versailles was signed, ending World War I. Two very good reasons to raise a glass, and yet, no one could. Legally. The law, of course, didn't stop liquor from reaching the parched lips of the American people. One of the original methods for obtaining liquid courage was importation from other countries. Smugglers brought in booze from Canada and Mexico via automobile, and from the Bahamas, Cuba, and the French islands of St. Pierre and Miquelon via watercraft. The ships often delivered their illicit freight to U.S. rum runners at a point just outside of, surprise surprise, Atlantic City, New Jersey. These rum runners were boats modified to escape the U.S. Coast Guard in a high-speed chase. Everyday citizens got creative too, building and hiding stills in their backyards or basements. My own ancestors delivered their homemade hooch from horse and cart, simultaneously selling their homemade bleach as a front. They kept the bleach on one side of the cart and the booze on the other. If you don't believe me, I still have the rubber stamps they used for making the product labels as proof. But the government and law enforcement adapted to the situation too. They installed more powerful motors in their boats and began to search incoming cargo ships while they were still further out from the U.S. coast. As another preventative, they mixed chemicals into denatured alcohol, which was permitted only for use in industrial manufacturing, making it hazardous to drink. So bootleggers found other ways to pour alcohol into the mouths of thirsty people. By the late 1920s, makeshift stills had popped up all over Appalachia, the perfect area to distill moonshine, thanks to its limited road network. Corn whiskey became the dominating booze on the American black market, but they still needed a surefire way to transport their homemade hooch out of the region without getting caught, or at least be able to outrun the law when they were. Alterations were made to their cars, including the expansion of interior space for carrying extra cargo, installing heavy-duty suspension to support the additional weight, and swapping out stock engines with Ford's new powerful V8. Even police cars couldn't stay on their tails. Then in 1933, when the American economy was deep into the Great Depression, prohibition was ended. Finally, citizens were legally allowed to consume liquor when they needed it most. Thankfully for moonshiners, the demand for their backwoods booze never slowed, 
and the stills in Appalachia kept on producing. Those who drove the forbidden shipments had acquired a very special skill as they maneuvered the winding backroads and hairpin turns at high speeds to evade the law. It became more than just a job. On their downtime, they brought their souped-up vehicles to nearby fairgrounds and horse tracks to race each other, and to their surprise, people were more than happy to pay to watch them compete. Raymond Parks, who made a fortune in bootlegging, was the first to invest his moonshine money into forming a racing team. The first stock car race was held at Atlanta's Lakewood Speedway in 1938. There were 20,000 in attendance, and Loy Shade, a racer from Ray's own team, was the winner. Another stock car driver, Bill France, began recruiting bootleggers to race in Virginia and the Carolinas. In 1947, he held a meeting that included drivers, mechanics, and team owners in Daytona Beach, Florida, where they drafted a standardized set of rules and officially formed the association we now know as NASCAR. Nowadays, beer is more closely associated with professional racing, but moonshine is in its blood. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, give it a five-star rating, and share with not one but two of your friends. If I haven't told your favorite silly story from history, send me an email at nightowlbroadcasting at gmail.com. Subject, Silly History Story. This show is a Night Owl production.